Hey, Pastor Kevin Wallace here. Listen, we're excited about what God is going to do in this time together. I want you to pay attention to this message that the Lord has laid on my heart. I believe it's going to bring life and strength to you today. I want you to hang on till the end. I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna pray with you. God bless you. Receive this word today. All right, here we go. Say, keepers of covenant. Verse number 12. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this thing, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Next verse. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so that he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? And the Lord answers, because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth. That's the phrase, say the wife of your youth. With whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But he did not make them, did he not make them one having a remnant of the spirit and why one? And the answer is because he seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed. This is, this is said twice in two verses. Take heed to your spirit. Take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Next verse. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not de deal treacherously. Lord, help us keep covenant. And let us see today that our covenant with our spouse is supposed to be a reflection in the earth of the covenant that we have through you and with your son, Jesus. And I pray for the next few minutes, you'll help me, Holy Spirit, to speak in love and with compassion and yet firmly with truth so that those who need to be healed can be bound up and those who need to be confronted and challenged will be. And I pray the Spirit of God would come on hearts today and that as you descend on these hearts through the preaching of your word, you will bring conviction and correction and healing. And may we leave this house today stronger. May our focus be on you and your love for us and how faithful you have been. And I pray that as we focus on your love and your faithfulness for us, it would be reciprocated in this covenant that we call marriage. Help me speak to the single people in the house as well, God. Some of them are in the valley of decision and I pray today the words that you've given me would somehow bring wisdom and illumination to their hearts so that we don't get ourselves into messes and you help us get out of the messes that we have gotten ourselves in. I thank you that you're the God of second chances. And I pray today that mercy and grace would flow like a river in this place. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.
So, marriage is not a contract. <laughs> marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. There is a number of differences between a covenant and a contract. I think it would be good for us to start today by being made aware of those differences, or at least a couple of them. Contracts have clauses, conditions, fine print that in many cases give people an out or an exit or a recourse of action if the other party who is in the contract doesn't fulfill their end of the bargain. Contracts are written to protect the parties involved from being taken advantage of by the other parties. Contracts are written out of an assumption that somebody's going to do something crooked. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a contract. If you really trusted the person you were entering into the business deal with or you had never been burnt before, you wouldn't worry so much about a contract. But how many have ever entered into a business deal, a selling of something, a purchasing of something, and the contract was there with stipulations because you said, I've been burnt once before and I'll never be burnt again, so we're going to get this, what, in writing, right? That's what a contract is. A contract is, is something that you and I enter into because we need protection and we need to make sure the other person fulfills their end of the commitment. But a covenant is different than a contract. A covenant is me saying, I am pledging and committing to do this regardless of what you do. I, I am saying that this is my commitment. This is what I am in it for. This is what I will contribute to this relationship, this situation, and, and this is what I'm going to do regardless of how you respond. Now, you can do something that, that, that brings consequences to the relationship. You can do things that delay the blessing from coming through, but at the end of the day, a covenant is not if you bless me, I'll bless you. A covenant is, I'm going to give you this period. And I want you to understand the difference because we're living in a day where most people are treating marriage contractually. And we actually have people now who get married with one foot in the door and one foot out. And it's always about hedging our decisions and protecting our future. And I want to tell you that this is not the kind of thing God had in mind when he gave us the miracle and the blessing of marriage. Marriage was really intended to be one thing on planet earth. And that is, if I understand the scriptures correctly, marriage was given well, are you saying marriage is not to be enjoyable? Are you, are you trying to say marriage doesn't have a purpose of reproduction? Are you trying to say marriage isn't pleasurable? No, it's all those things. It's, it can be joyous. It can be pleasurable. It can be a way that we have children. All those things are wonderful. But really, spiritually, marriage was given by God to be a reflection in the earth of what his love and faithfulness and commitment to us look like in the spirit. 
How many are saved in this room today? Would you please be so kind to lift your hand? Born again people who are not on your way to hell, you're going to heaven and you have a relationship with Jesus. Lift your hand, please. Might I suggest to you today that that reality that you and I are living in is a reality because of a covenant God made with us. In fact, if you want to understand the history of God and you want to understand the story of God and if you want to understand the redemptive plan of God from Genesis to Revelation, the entire, the entire story of God is weaved together and held together by this word called covenant. He made a covenant with Noah in the first seven chapters of the Bible. He then makes another covenant with Abraham a few chapters later. He then makes a covenant with Moses a few chapters later. He then makes a covenant with David a few chapters later. And then come Ezekiel, then comes Ezekiel and Jeremiah who prophesy about a new covenant that is coming in the future where God will not write on tablets of stone, but he will write on the tender heart of humanity. Everything about God, the working of God, his love for humanity is all understood and established with this word called covenant. And those of you who lifted your hand just a moment ago to say that I am saved, you are not saved and I am not saved by my works. I didn't earn the love of Jesus. You didn't earn your salvation. Paul reminds us in the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, the ninth and the tenth verse, it is by grace you are saved through faith. That not of yourself, it is the gift of God which is eternal life. Listen, not of works lest any one of us should boast. We are not saved by our works, we are saved by grace. And grace was not a gift that God gave in reciprocating to us something to us that, that, that we had given to him. I had nothing to give to God. I came to him a rank sinner. I came to him spiritually and morally bankrupt. And grace looked beyond my faults and saw my needs and we're saved today by the grace of Almighty God. And we're saved today because of a covenant that was made. A covenant that God made with humanity through his son, Jesus Christ. And God says, when I give you marriage, I want marriage to look like the kind of relationship that I have with you. I want marriage to look like and feel like the kind of relationship I had with you. And when I start talking like this, this is perhaps the most uncomfortable Sunday for some. Because a teaching on marriage on Valentine's Day exposes everything you hoped that could be hidden. But today, no such hiding will occur. Because God doesn't want us to live in a relationship that is below the intent and the, or the original design for which he created it. Marriage isn't supposed to bring you misery. <laughs> this is gonna be like revelatory for some. Rev Marriage isn't supposed to bring you misery. 
Marriage is supposed to bring you and I a reflection and a reminder of how good God has been to us and through his faithfulness to us, we can experience this love in this covenant that we call marriage. And today as we look at the the world around us, I'm reminded I preached a sermon last year at the end of last year, sometime around October, November out of 2 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul warns Timothy, beware in the last day perilous times shall come. Watch, for men will be lovers of themselves, and we skip right through and we read right through all of those kind of activities and actions of evil that will be going on on the planet, but we miss that one little phrase right in the middle, people will be truce breakers. The word truce in the Greek is a covenant. It's, a, it's this thing of commitment, and, and the Bible says that people in the last day would be truce breakers, covenant breakers, They would see a covenant and say, forget about it. Break the covenant and walk off like they never made it. It's evil. It is the result of a hard heart. It is the the presence of, of arrogance. It is a lack of humility and brokenness. And the prophet Malachi His name means messenger of God. We don't know anything about him other than what is told of him in this prophecy itself. There is not a lot of history on Malachi. We believe that he prophesied sometime at the end or after the the exile back from captivity. And here he is talking to Jewish people who have been in captivity and they came home to Jerusalem with freedom. And somewhere in all their freedom, the men of Israel began to put their wives of their youth away and began to go, this is going to get rough here, they began to go seeking after strange women. That doesn't mean crazy hair and crazy attire and no, it means that they went after women who were serving other gods. And when the Bible said they left the wife of their youth, that phrase began to pound in my heart, the wife of their youth. And I'll just be very transparent with you without sharing anything that would incriminate anyone involved. In a period of a couple of months last year, and I touched on it at different times, but in a period of a couple of months last year, I was personally involved in trying to help restore brothers in the kingdom and leaders in the kingdom and preachers in the kingdom who were committing adultery and having affairs and and we had to figure out a way to restore them. And I'm thankful today that out of the two or three that I was working with personally, two of them turned back to the Lord. One of them did not. And my heart was broken and grieved because I watched hard-heartedness set in. I watched families, not just his, but many others connected to him be destroyed. And 
I'm sitting there saying to myself, how can we do this? How, how, how do we get to his heart, oh God? And this was a period of weeks and my spirit was broken and there were many tears shed. And I said to the Lord, I need a word on this. I need you to speak to me. And God took me to Malachi and he said, he's put away the wife of his youth. What is the wife of your youth? What does that even mean, Father? God began to show me about first love. When we make first commitments, and, we, and let me just stop right here and just tell this house, there is no condemnation in my voice. If you have divorced and moved on and, and this is, and I'm preaching something you've done, I certainly do not have a bone of condemnation in my body. There is hope and there is restoration and there is forgiveness in the Lord. Let's lay that down right now as we start this, okay? But I am preaching today to people who are watching the, the cycles and the trends of a godless culture and the cancel culture wants godly people to cancel their commitment and their covenant. And I just want to stand on this platform today and tell you that the God that was there the day you made your vow is still very much God and he's still watching what you do with it. The Lord said he's put away his wife of his youth. This has become the convenient thing to do. Put away the wife of your youth. The person that you loved when you first found out what love was. The person that got your first love. And the Bible says that they put their wife of their youth away. <laughs> How do you even do that? I thought about this situation I was working through and this message today. I thought about how that would work out in my house. It wouldn't work out so well. You can't cancel Devin. Come on, how many sisters in here are like, you better know something. I mean, I see some of y'all women looking at your man like, yeah, y'all better, you better reckon, better recognize, <laughs> right? become convenient. It's sickening to watch preachers change wives like they change suits and call every new one a new season. The heart of God is grieved. And here's what's crazy. They came to the temple got their offerings out and put it on the altar. And God never answered by fire. So what'd they do? They wept. They called, read the text, this is all in Malachi 2. They put their offering on the altar, no fire falls. God never answered their prayers and they start crying. Where is God? And God said, you know where I am. I'm not answering your prayers and taking your sacrifices of worship 
while you're running with strange women and have left the wife of your youth. This is a hard word. And this is a reason, in my opinion, so many people in the kingdom are rotating spouses because we haven't been reminded that what covenant we made on the day of our marriage was in the sight of a holy God. Let me talk about covenant real quick because that is what the Bible says they had profaned. What a heavy word, profaned. They literally took something pure and polluted it. What is a covenant? What are the components of a covenant? When you and your wife or me or your husband or me and my wife got married, we got married, Devin and I got married on Sunset Rock. Right, Dad? Right, Mom? We got married on Sunset Rock looking over Chattanooga. My dad almost went to jail because they came down and they said, you can't get married on this rock. And my dad said, he's getting married on the rock. And if someone needs to go to jail, we can settle that right now. But they're going to get married on the rock. We got 30 people down on this rock. And they're trying to say, you're not going to get married. And dad said, I'm the godfather. (laughs) He's getting married on the rock. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we got married on the rock. Watch this. There came a place in the marriage ceremony where you do what is called the exchanging of vows. And the exchanging of vows went something like this. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It went something like this. For better or for worse? For richer or for poorer? Do you know why those words aren't revisited in the relationship as marriages go along? Because many people in the church have have reduced the importance of the words we speak. But words have power. And when you make a vow and a pledge and a covenant with someone, the first thing you must understand, it is that, that the component of covenant is one of commitment. I am committing myself exclusively to my spouse. When I got married to Devin, there was no more looking. My search came to an end. Her search came to an end. What is this business of getting married and continually shopping? Well, at least, you know, you know, pastor, we have an agreement. We look, we just don't touch. That's demonic. That's the first problem. You don't look and not touch because if you look long enough, Adam, you will touch it. Y'all can't handle this today. We got too many guests here for baby dedication to be preaching a sermon like this, right? Commitment. God was grieved because they stopped living committed lives to each other. And the man in this text, it could be a woman, but the man in this particular text had walked away from the commitment he had made to his wife. Why is Malachi so passionate about this subject of covenant in his prophecy? 
Because if you read the entire prophecy of Malachi, you will hear the intensity that accompanies the writing. He's like very intense. He's in your face. He's not at all intimidated by the people of Israel. And he is intense because he is speaking on behalf of God. A God who was not happy with the behavior of his people. Specifically, God found their disregard for covenant a flagrant offense to him and his kingdom. And we could talk about the ways that they violated their covenant with God, but what we're finding out in Malachi is the details of how they violated the covenant of their marriage. And they are about to find out that God is as concerned with how we treat the covenant we made with our spouse as he is the covenant we made with him. This is news to the Israelites. You mean God takes personally when we don't honor our marriage covenant? Absolutely. They had violated their commitment. Their marriage was more than an idea. The imagery is clear. A young Jewish man made vows and pledged his commitment to his young virgin wife. He betrothed her, took her to be his wife, and somewhere in the journey, you ready for this? Here we go. He fell out of love. Can I just be real with you? Devin and I have been married for 21 years. I want to, and I hope this doesn't sound less spiritual. I hope the, the practicality of what I'm getting ready to say will encourage and strengthen some of you. There are seasons you go through in your marriage where your feelings for each other are, are stronger than other seasons. If you're in this place and marriage is bliss to you every day, we celebrate you being here. I mean, we, we envy you, seriously. I mean, we covet what you have. <sighs> Sometimes marriages go through what I would call dry seasons. You don't say, I fell out of love with someone. That, that insinuates you caught love like you caught a cold. It's like, I didn't know, I don't know if I meant this. You know, we got married, I'm not sure what I was thinking. Are you kidding me? You don't fall out of love. I was thinking about songs we could sing that, appro that appropriately um, sort of articulate where some relationships are. You know, the Righteous Brothers. <laughs> You've lost that love and feeling, right? <laughs> now it's gone, 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 right? The good news is you can get it back, 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 right? <laughs> what do you do when you're feeling doesn't feel so good. You don't fall out of love. Why? Because you're in a covenant and it started with a commitment. And this doesn't mean much until you remember that marriage is a reflection of the love of God for us. And if marriage is a, is a reflection of the love God has for us, what would it say about God if his treating of us mirrored the way we treated our spouses. What would happen if you woke up tomorrow and God fell out of love with you? This is heavy. I have some news to report to you today. As scandalous and sinful 
and crazy and rebellious as we have all been, he has never fallen out of love with us. You know why? He's committed. Even when I've been faithless, he remained faithful. Your marriage and my marriage and all of our marriages must come to the understanding today. We must deal with this fact. That marriage, while it is wonderful to feel it, and so many times we do, you cannot alter, you should not alter your covenant simply because you have a change of feelings. Well, what do I do if we're not feeling it like we used to? There are things we can do. There are places we can go. There are ways to rekindle those fires. But what has become convenient for most people in the church is to forsake the commitments we made to each other. I want to tell those who are married today that we have an opportunity to steward this mystery of love in a way that causes our children to want to desire it for themselves. We also have the power to create in them a disdain and a rejection for this commitment kind of love. It's one of the reasons why I think people are not getting married as early as they used to anymore. They have been disillusioned by what I would call fickle love. They have seen so many people fall in love and fall out of love. Anybody remember those precious old saints? They stayed married for like 70 years. I've got a friend, he's in the heaven now, uh, a late friend, and he's probably 85, 86. And Sesame Young was a tremendous man of God. He was married to Maggie. Maggie had hair that went to the ceiling. If it ever fell down, it touched the floor. Woman of God, man of God. I used to preach as a young teenage boy down in Blackville, Georgia. They would put me up on their farmhouse, and every morning I'd wake up, and Maggie had the biggest spread of breakfast prepared you've ever seen in your life. They were married almost 70 years. I walked to the kitchen one morning, and Maggie, sweet woman, powerful people of God, Carnage is probably watching this today. She said, Brother Wallace, I'm 19 years old. She said, Brother Wallace, ask Sesame the last time he told me he loved me. I thought, dear lady, I'm 19. <laughs> don't do this to the boy, you know? Don't, I, I don't know how to counsel yet. I'm not a pastor right now. She said, ask him the last time he told me he loved me. I said, Sesame, when's the last time you told Maggie you loved her? eating gravy without skipping a bite. He looked up and said, the day we got married. I thought, oh God, what am I gonna say? What do I do? I said, Sissom, why, why did you only tell her the day you got married? Why haven't you told her any day since? He said, because I told her I loved her the day we got married, and if I change my mind, I'll let her know. Pretty good wisdom, right? I mean, I wrote that down in my 19-year-old journal. <laughs> but some reason, Devin never received that. She, 
She wasn't on that Sesame Young page of love. I mean, that doesn't, it's not how, I got to tell her, right? They stayed married for almost 70 years. And I thought, you know, I should probably get to know how. She told me, you know why we love each other after all these years? Because we still love Jesus. See, this is part of why marriage has become so optional for those who are in it. I'm not so sure it's just that our hearts got hard on our spouse. I think our hearts got hard on Jesus. Commitment. When you and I said I do, it was a vow and a pledge we made. Not so that we could get something out of it, but true love that took me into the covenant of marriage was the kind of love that said, I can't help what you do for me. I hope you love me back, but I'm so, I'm so for this and into this that I'm selling out and I'm going to commit to love you no matter what. And you say that and we say that and everyone says, I don't know how I feel about that and that is exactly how God loves us. I'm gonna love you no matter what. Not only is covenant a commitment, but covenant involved sacrifice. Uh-oh. This is like where you lose everybody. Because what we think love is, is how we get something. True love is really demonstrated authentically in how we sacrifice. Do you have Bible? Of course. Husbands, Ephesians 5, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. <laughs> it's like we, we, we were shouting and then all of a sudden we were like, oh. Because here's the reality of love. Love put Jesus on a cross. And we're busy trying to tell people tricks to marriage and pointers and, and how-tos in marriage. And the reality of it is I can't can counsel out of your marriage what your own self-preservation continues to invite into it. If single, all the single people holler at me real quick. Come on, single people. You might find a date. All the single people holler at me real quick. Okay, you are not ready for marriage if you're not ready to die to self. Ninety-nine percent of the marriages that, and I don't. Let me just say this too. I think it's great to say this. I don't do a lot of marriage counseling at this church. I'm gonna tell you why. Number one, I have ADD. You don't want me to be your counselor. The first time I ever tried to do marriage counseling, a woman come in, she was weeping and crying in the floor. He was looking like a zombie, and I'm drawing Bart Simpson on my paper on, this, on the <laughs> desk. True story. I was losing my mind. And at the end, she's crying, and he's a fit, and I said, we need to get y'all some real help. I don't, I can't help you. I'm not a good counselor, number one. Number two, you don't want me to know all your business. Because I never want to be preaching a message like this, and you think I'm talking to you. 
So the reason as your pastor, I don't do a lot of marriage counseling and we do help people who need counseling and we refer them and our church help take care of that. But I don't do a lot of it because I want you to know every Sunday I preach, I preach with a pure heart and would never use this Bible to beat anybody over the head with it sitting in our pews. It's a commitment I make. But if you're going to have a successful marriage, something in you is going to die. Some passions you had are going to die. Some expectations you had are going to die. You're going to have to give up some stuff. Many of you don't know this. Devin was, and she is brilliant. She's a genius. She had a full ride to the medical school down in Atlanta, Emory. Full ride. Little whippersnapper, how about that? <laughs> she was going to be a doctor. And when she got married to me, she put all that on the shelf. First three years, two years of our marriage, we traveled. 200 nights a year I was preaching. She gave all that up. I didn't necessarily want her to, because doctors do pretty well. And rightfully so, her dad was petrified that she was going to marry a preacher and be broke, busted, and disgusted for the rest of her life. Marriage will cost you something. That's what love is. And if you're not willing to make sacrifices, you're not in love. Jesus, you love me? Yeah, I love you. Imagine had he just walked up to the hill, saw the cross, and been like, I love you, but I don't know if I love you that much. That's not how he loved me. He loved me to the point that he died on that cross. He gave himself for me. He gave himself for you. So I want to say this today. Why are you preaching this message, Pastor? Because we live in a world that is continually painting the picture that commitment and sacrifice and love and covenant are absolutely um, uh, optional. It might be out there, but in the kingdom of God, this is how we're going to be blessed people, is to make a covenant and a commitment and a pledge and stick to it. Men, do not forsake the wife of your youth. Women, do not forsake the wife of your youth. What if I have already? I'm not here to bear, to, to, to bear you in hopelessness and bring up the past. I'm here to tell you that sins that have been repented of through anguish and pain and tears and years, God forgives and you can move forward. But the best, the best plan for everyone who is still married in this room to the wife or the husband of your youth is to decide today, I'm not shopping anymore. <laughs> I'm not shopping anymore. That ring on her finger means she's taken. And I don't want to live my life and God have the intention for Devin and I 
that our marriage be a reflection of his love for us and continually demonstrate something else. I want, if, if I'm on this planet and God knit my heart to hers and hers to mine so that the world could see a picture of true love, why would I bring reproach upon God by putting away the wife of my youth? Everything in this world, seems, come help me, Brian. Everything in this world seems to be an attack on the institutions God has made. That's not accidental. We're seriously living in 2021 where we're having legit conversations about women who turn themselves into men getting to participate in sports with women again. What? You shouldn't be mean. Did I say anything mean? I just said, what are we doing? We're having conversations about how to build families outside of the way God said build them. And this thing called marriage is an institution not created by the state or by the government. It was created in the mind and the heart of God as a covenantal commitment to reveal to the world the kind of love that God would have for us. This is why the Bible said God despises divorce. It's not that he despises the divorcee. He despises divorce because divorce is an attack on the, on the very thing God was trying to create. He was trying to show us what it looks like to stay committed on good days and bad days. Maggie and Sesson stayed married 70 years, not because they were perfect, but because they were committed to each other the same way God's committed to me and you. Their marriage was a testimony of how to stick with it and a reminder that God sticks with me. Do you understand what I'm saying about your marriage? It matters. Three things, quickly, three things, and then where do we go from here? Three things that keep you from moving forward together. Number one, pride. Pride. Pride, in my opinion, when you look at a court document that says reason for divorce, irreconcilable differences, scratch that out and just put in pride. Because someone in the marriage decided, I've been too nice, too kind, too run over. Let me tell you this too. May, may I say this to you? There are times where God embraces moving on. Infidelity, he gives you, listen, he gives you the option to move on. He doesn't command you to move on. He simply says, if someone has been unfaithful in a marriage, then the one who was faithful 
has the option to divorce and to move on in life. He doesn't say they should, and he doesn't make them do it. He simply says it's an option. I want to testify to you that some of the greatest healing I've ever seen come from God came when there was unfaithfulness in a marriage, and it took a long time to get back to it, but God healed the hearts and restored trust again. That can happen. I've watched it happen. It's beautiful when it happens. But pride will keep you from it. Number two, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. I see more people who can't get over what the other person did to them. And I want to be very clear and very careful in how I say this. And I have always said this. Respect is free. Trust is earned. Respect is free. Trust is earned. If if you violate trust with infidelity, I want you to know you should not expect your wife or your husband to wake up the next morning and feel peachy creamy. Get over it. Forgive me. Shut up. You did something very wrong. The good news is God can forgive it and make it very right. And if God can forgive, I need to as well. This is tough. Pride, unforgiveness, and hopelessness. I've met so many marriages that come into a place where they just don't feel like there is any hope for the future. Please let me tell you this. As long as Jesus is alive and you trust him, there's always hope. You can always recover. I'm not talking about doing it quick or fast or accelerating it or doing it in some, I'm just talking about as long as Jesus is alive and you trust him, he can always give you hope for the future of your marriage. So where does he leave these men of Israel who have put away their wives and the the wives of their youth and went after strange women who were worshiping other gods? Where does he leave this? Here's where he leaves it and I'm done. He says, Twice, take heed to your heart. That means pay attention to what you're paying attention to. If your mind, sir, is wondering, you better go get it back on track. If your mind, ma'am, is shopping and looking in all the other directions and you get in these conversations and you threaten each other with, I, you know, I got, I got other options. No, you really don't. You really have one true biblical option. That's to submit yourself to God and humble yourself, both of you. It'll be amazing what happens if you both go after Jesus. Maybe you don't need this today. Maybe, maybe you'll never need this. I pray that. But maybe somebody in this room does. He says, take heed to your spirit. Pay very careful attention to what you're letting in there. And here's the other thing he says. This is in the third chapter, the seventh verse of Malachi. At the end of all this talk about profaning the covenant, here's what he says. Repent and return to me and I will return to you. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news that no matter how off track you and I get, isn't it good news that we can repent, turn our hearts toward God, and be forgiven and restored by him? Now, I'm going to say something right now. It is totally egregious for you to expect restoration if you haven't repented. Repentance is not, I'm sorry, baby. Repentance is, Father, 
I have sinned and my mind is warped. And I need you to straighten me out. Turn my heart back toward you, Father God. I don't want to keep living like I'm living. I don't want to keep wondering in my heart. I want to be faithful. I want to be a man and a woman or a woman of commitment and covenant. The enemy does everything he can to destroy it, and God's doing all he can today to tighten you up and bring you all, bring you together. You ready for this? God is your biggest marriage fan. He's pulling for you. He's on your side. You say, you don't know how screwed up my marriage is and how long it's been messed up. I don't, but what a testimony it would be to come back from the dead. Right? There's hope. Brothers, there's hope. Sisters, there's hope. Children, there's hope for mom and dad. I want you to stand. I want to pray today. The pastor in me wrestles with the apostle in me. The apostle wants to smash stuff. The pastor wants to heal stuff. To the guys who are just treating marriage as if it were not just another relationship, I just, want to, I just want to in love grab you and shake you by your lapels today and say, what are you doing? To the people who crashed and burned and feel like life is over, I want to come and say there's hope. I will say this. Sin is deceiving. And the enemy has a way of making you think it's going to all turn out like you think it's going to. Peanut butter and jelly and roses and tulips. But the old church told me sin will take you further than you wanted to go. Keep you longer than you wanted to stay and give you a bill bigger than you thought you'd have to pay. Don't waste time and don't waste relational energy. Make up your mind today, I'm, I'm gonna be committed. I'm gonna stay faithful as best I can. It's not that I'm gonna be perfect, but I'm not going to live my life shopping putting away the wife in my instance, for you it may be your husband of my youth. I'm not going to do it. 21 years, hell and high water. I plan on getting old with Devin Wallace. Yes, every now and then she snaps and puts me back into line. Every now and then I roar. But at the end of the day, I got you, babe. Right? She's not even here. I'm talking to her in the spirit. She feels it. I know she does. God, I pray, first of all, anyone struggling with covenant and commitment today would experience a true revival in their heart. Let them be reminded of the vows they made and the love they have. Let them be reminded of the commitments they made to each other 
Let them draw off that today. And as they make up in their mind, they're going to live as a faithful man, a faithful husband, a faithful woman, a faithful wife. I just thank you, you're going to send your spirit to strengthen the bonds of their commitment and their covenant today. Lord, anyone who's trying to recover from a train wreck in their marriage, your word is so full of hope, return to me, you said, and I will return to you. That's the promise you made us, God. Maybe, maybe if you're married, you could take your spouse's hand right now so I could pray over every marriage. Lord, in a world where the love of many is growing colder and colder, would you let their love for you and for each other get hotter and hotter? I just pray for them today. That the luring, enticing things of this world will not be able to pull them apart. And I pray in Jesus' name that the tension that some of them feel, even in this moment, it's the tension of fear. What if I say yes and he says no? What if I say yes and she says no? What? We've been down this road before, Pastor Kevin. What? What if God just heals it today? Mm. Casey, Ryan, come here, please. I want to do something. Everyone, everyone, come, come, come stand up on the stage. Just stay standing. I'm going to do this at the end, and I'm going to let you go after I, I do this, and I pray one more prayer. This is called salt. <laughs> How about that? It's amazing. It's salt. One of the covenants in the Old Testament was a salt covenant. Sometimes you'll see this happening at a wedding ceremony today. I do weddings still, and when I do a wedding, I love to see a salt covenant because here's what a salt covenant says. Ryan, take some salt in your hand. Nice pinch. Yeah. Casey, you take some salt in your hand, right? So they both have their own salt, and the person conducting the covenant would come with a pouch, and they would say, you're entering this binding covenant and this covenant you're making to Casey is a commitment to her, and this is what the covenant would spell out. And this covenant you're making to Ryan is this covenant that you would spell out in the covenant. And to, to ratify this covenant, I want you to mix the salt together. And they would put their salt in the pouch. Put your salt in there. And they would shake the salt. And the only way you could break that covenant is to go in and you find every particle of salt that you threw in, and you find every particle of, go ahead, try. <laughs> I want you to get the salt back that you put in. And the love of God for me and you is greater than even the covenant of salt. If you wanna know if God could ever back up on you or or would ever turn his back on you, he'd have to go find every little, could he do it? Yeah, he could. But here's what I want you to hear me say. When you come into covenant with God, he doesn't just throw you away when you make a mistake. How many are thankful for that? And you don't just, wait, stay right there. You don't just throw your spouse away 
you remember the covenant you made and you let God strengthen it and heal it. Lord, strengthen and heal today. I pray in the name of Jesus for every marriage in this church that it would not just survive, but it would thrive. That it would become a model and a reflection of the pure love that you have for us, the commitment and the faithfulness you have to us. I ask in Jesus' name that strong marriages, a grace for strong marriages would be on this house. Lord, there are many adversaries and enemies that would attack our marriage, but today I declare that the strength of your grace and your love for us is greater than any force of the enemy. And I bless, lift your hands, I bless every marriage right now. I bless every single person looking for the right one right now. I thank you for restoration for those that are broken. I thank you for provision for those that are looking for the right one. I thank you for strong marriages that are already at work in this house. And I'm asking you to take every marriage deeper into your love and deeper into their commitment together. In Jesus' name, if you receive that over your house, say amen. Friend, I believe God is speaking to hearts right now. This message, I pray, has stirred you, and there are some who are watching this message who are waiting on the opportunity to give their heart to Jesus Christ. Listen, the greatest day in your life is the day that you give your heart to Jesus Christ and allow him to become the Lord of your life. And if you want that opportunity, then right now, I wanna pray with you. You know, the Bible says in the book of Acts that God commands men and women everywhere to repent, to turn from their sin, and to turn to the living God. And the message of hope today for you is that no matter how messed up you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how far away from God you feel, He is only one prayer away. Would you turn your heart toward Him right now? Just say, dear God, save me, forgive me, cleanse me of my sin, and make me new. I I confess you as my Lord and Savior, Jesus, and I'm asking you to be the king of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer, let us know today. We want to make sure you have a Bible. We want to make sure you know that as a local church here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, someone is praying for you. We hope to see you soon if you're in the Chattanooga area, and if not, get in a Bible-believing church somewhere and grow in your purpose in Christ. We love you. We're praying for you today. God bless you.